What's going on, guys? So today I'm sitting down with Ian Daniel, uh, and we're going to be talking about PED use in sports. Now, first off, Ian, I just want to say thanks so much for jumping on, man. It's great to have you here. And this was uh, this this episode is actually kind of catalyzed by a post that you made that sort of went viral when you kind of commented on a on a post that CrossFit shared, talking about um, you know how people are being falsely accused of drugs and. You kind of called some people out and, and it was really interesting. So just wanted to kind of uh, get you on here so we could have a little bit more of an honest conversation about it. But for those people who maybe aren't familiar with you, what you've done in your background, can you just kind of give yourself a little bit of an introduction? Sure, sure. Um, so let's see. I have to think about uh, think about my age for a second. Remember, I'm 31 now, um, which is kind of bizarre because I was I remember being 20 like it was yesterday. Um so I went to the CrossFit Games twice uh, in 2016 and 2017 on a team, and then I transitioned to powerlifting pretty seamlessly from there. Um, I uh, da, 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 da. Whenever I transitioned to powerlifting, I already, like just from doing CrossFit, um, I was kind of biased towards strength, um, and it kind of like kind of happened without trying. Um, whenever I was training CrossFit, I had a, uh, in the 2017 year, like just to give people a frame of reference, um, some of the, the baseline metrics of like where I was at physically. Um, I was running a, like a six to a six and a half minute mile doing about, I think 18 muscle ups unbroken. I was, I was 5'8", 222 pounds about, but in terms of lifts, I, I, was, I was rowing like a 6.45, 2K. Um, but then I was also, I could squat to, I squatted 225 uh, for 101 reps unbroken um, in one set. I was squatting 600 pounds uh, in sleeves and I was deadlifting. I want to say my deadlift around the time was about 680 or 690 um, sumo and conventional. It was like about 630 or 640 uh, clean and jerk was like close to right around 400 and snatch was like maybe 310, 315. Um, and that was training weights one day a week with the other four to five, six days a week that I was training for CrossFit, basically centered around being like a gymnastic triathlete because those were my weak links. Because I'm, I'm, I was 220 pounds I got short, stocky legs, um, thick legs built for weightlifting and squatting, and I'm just not an efficient runner. I was conditioned in terms of my aerobic capacity and my heart rate, but physically, my mechanics just don't suit. They, they don't, they're not suited for running. I'm not an efficient runner. I don't have a long stride length. I have a lot of muscle on my legs, so it takes a lot of oxygen to keep those things pumping. Um, so I transitioned to powerlifting. Uh, after the 2017 year, I, I didn't know. Uh, I'd gone to the games twice and I knew that if I wanted to make a run as an individual, it would have meant dropping like 10 to 15, maybe even 20 pounds of muscle. And I just didn't really understand how I was going to make that happen unless I just totally quit training and ate a low protein diet and just did all things counterintuitive to what you would think you would do for fitness. And, um, because I, I, I would have needed to have better gymnastics and better running and really just up my weaknesses because I had this 
strength surplus and I was kind of training against that. And so I decided to switch to powerlifting and it kind of made sense to me because I, I thought to myself, well, if I'm only training one day a week with weights and I'm, you know, have a, whatever the Wilkes was at the time, like I think I did 475 or so for my first meet and 1600 total at, at I think 198, because I did a big cut. Um, I said, well, imagine if I actually cut out all this other bullshit and kind of trained purely for strength. And I was also getting a little bit burnout all the time of just mentally doing constantly doing all this type of training that I didn't necessarily like, but I needed to do. Um, I didn't necessarily enjoy it. So switching to powerlifting was just kind of like a mental break and it was fun and enjoyable for me. Um, and so whenever I switched to powerlifting, I think I went, I did, I think I did a total of five meets with maybe a couple of little deadlift exhibitions in there. And my total went 1600, uh, 1813, nine, eight, 1600, 1640, then 1813, then 1913 or 1901, and then 2001. And then um, 2001 was my most recent meet I did like maybe a year and a half ago. And then uh, I took a little bit of a hiatus from powerlifting after a bunch of just stuff happened in South Florida with a bunch of people I knew and it kind of gave me a bad taste. Um, I started doing jujitsu a little bit and then I uh, had a really serious back injury that I've kind of currently been rehabbing from. Um, but my, when I did 2001, um, I think my squat was 788, bench was 451 and deadlift was 760. I almost had 771, but that, that callus rip, man, it just peeled right off, right? When I was locking it out, at that at the lockout uh, skin just peeled right off um but i'd also hit uh i'd hit seven seven hundred for nine on a deadlift previous to that in animal cage um and i was pretty that was probably like that might have been one of my favorite lifts of, of powerlifting is is repping that out in the cage in front of everybody but um i'm the only person to to go to the crossfit games and hit a two thousand powerlifting total um, and so the sort of the, the realm of physical adaptation that both of those things encompass is pretty broad. So it's provided me a lot of experience, and a lot of insight to work with a lot of athletes in terms of coaching. Um, so I run a coaching business right now. And with that, I'm able to work with CrossFit athletes, strength athletes um, in that range of adaptations that sort of general physical preparedness also encompasses uh, and is ideal for a lot of service professionals. So I work with a lot of, uh, a lot of military, uh, a lot of law enforcement, a lot of firefighters. Um, a, a group of my athletes are army rangers. Um, several others are uh, training for the selection process for special forces. Um, and then I also have worked with several SWAT team members in different areas of the country and um, quite a few firefighters. That's awesome, man. Um, so to, to kind of frame the, uh, the conversation. Sure. I think you brought up that comment. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I think there's a lot of disconnect in terms of like, you know, when people talk about PED use in sports, because there's a lot of nuance. And sometimes when people are talking about it, they don't necessarily understand the context. These things are, these statements are being made. So like, you know, they don't. The, the type of drug use that's going on and the prevalence is going to be dependent on the sport, dependent on 100%. the level of competition, dependent on, yeah. um, 
you know, like what federation maybe you're in. And, and so there, there's so many different things that are going on. And then even just kind of like, it's, it's almost like willful ignorance and maybe even a bit of ambivalence towards like utilization of drugs in, in sports, right? Because people yeah. just want to see, you know, football players do amazing things. Yeah. But then, you know, the moment that someone's like outed, it's like, oh my God, I can't believe he's a cheater. And it's like, you knew he was on drugs. Like, why, why are we pretending? Yeah. You know what I mean? And so there's a couple papers here, actually, just to kind of frame the conversation for some people who maybe aren't necessarily as in the know. So <clears throat> I'll give you guys kind of the, uh, the, the titles uh -huh. and studies. And if you want, you can go and look at them yourself. So, and these are just like three out of a ton of different uh, papers. So <laughs> The prevalence of characteristics of performance-enhancing drugs, uh, drug use among bodybuilding athletes in the south of Iran. Um, they essentially estimated that on average about 57% of, of uh, these bodybuilders were using PEDs. And it's really important to understand even this estimate is probably low because this is a volitional survey where people are actually volunteering to say, hey, yes, I am using drugs. Which means like to me, that's even shocking that that number was even present right um and so you could you could potentially speculate and say hey okay well there's probably quite a few people who aren't comfortable and are going to say no um another paper doping in two sorry in two elite athletic competitions assessed by randomized response surveys again another volitional survey they found up to uh, 57 roughly again admitted to using performance enhancing drugs in the past year according to a study published in the journal of sports medicine um, another paper, the prevalence of doping use in elite sports, a review of numbers and methods. They found near between 40 or, I mean, in this paper, it said 39, but roughly 40 to, to 70% um, using PEDs, uh, depending on the sport, depending on what time of, of, of year they're competing and, and where they are in their competitive season and things like that. So um, the idea that, you know, people are just honest and they're not using drugs is kind of fallacious, but at the same time, you don't necessarily want to cast such a broad net and say, oh, you're doing well in sports, you must be on drugs. And it's kind of a really intricate balance. So I guess that's kind of where I wanted to, to start the conversation. And, um, you know, most people associate PED use um, with, with muscle size. And this is kind of one of the interesting things, right? Like, if a guy's really jacked, people are like, oh, he must be on drugs, but they don't really understand, like, PEDs aren't just steroids, it's not just testosterone, there's a whole gamut of different things for, from a performance standpoint. So what are some of those other drugs and what are some of the other benefits that might confer? And sure. I mean, we're just talking kind of globally in sports. So it's not necessarily limited to strength sports, even though it's predominantly kind of, you know, the listener base. Sure. And just, just a side note, I love conversations about this topic with people that are more informed because there is it is such a taboo gray area topic and it's surrounded by ignorance and ego and insecurity that kind of intermesh with the people that are typically having this kind of dialogue and there is such a lack of knowledge surrounding this topic that tends to dominate the conversation along with those other traits that i mentioned that you really can't get any concrete informative information or any type of benefit most of the time when normal people, uh, and when I say normal, I mean, you know, unknowledgeable, typically gen pop people try to have these conversations on the internet and comments and all that bullshit. And so, um, you know, in kind of talking about this sort of thing, I think it's important to shed light 
on a lot of these other drugs like you mentioned, but also just um, a lot of the nuance um, that I'm sure we'll go into between the use in different sports, um, milligram amounts um, and how that plays a role, side effects. You know, I like to use the analogy of, you know, the difference between someone who is an binge drinking alcoholic and someone who has a beer once a night, you know, or once an afternoon or whatever amount you want to use for that. Um, you know, the difference between a, a, a recreational gym goer and a Mr. Olympia bodybuilder, like there seems to be this prevalent dominating thought that like, if you're on drugs, then it's like this one size fits all catch all <laughs> cycle for everybody or something, which is totally false. But to answer your question and go into that, the human body, and I'm going to kind of take a, a zoom out and then I'm going to zoom in. Um, the human body is a very, very complex organism. And the pharmaceutical industry has created a really, really large amount of very um, technologically advanced drugs. You know, drugs bind to receptors, they block receptors, they elicit effects, they stop things from happening. Whenever you use a pharmaceutical drug, and when I say that, I mean, you know, I'm referring to performance enhancing drugs because performance enhancing drugs 99.9% of the time typically start as pharmaceutical drugs intended for another purpose in a sick population and that's how they come about. You are essentially like if you imagine the light switch in your house when you walk inside you are flipping a switch on and flipping the switch off that's most of the time that's pretty much what you're doing and you're maybe taking a puzzle piece here and sticking it on a puzzle piece there and then that is allows something to make something happen in your body all of these drugs were designed to help sick people the performance enhancing effect is essentially a almost a side effect in a lot of these drugs and in some drugs, the effect that helps the sick person also exaggerates that same effect in a healthy person. Like just because the person's healthy doesn't mean it doesn't still do its job, if that makes sense. So in talking about a, an anabolic steroid, a lot of these drugs are beneficial in say, an, a, a 60 or 70 year old, you could, you, you could take a drug like Anavar and give 2.5 milligrams to a burn patient or a cancer patient, which I'm an ICU nurse by career. There's been plenty with, you know, potentially with aspirations going on to be a nurse practitioner in a different field. And um, there's been plenty of times where I've given a burn patient or a cancer patient 2.5 to 5 milligrams of Anavar for muscle wasting. Um, so, you know, these drugs, they, they act in sick patients. That's what they're meant for. But then they also, if you take a normal person, the same mechanism of action of this compound binding to a receptor on a muscle cell or different cells in the body and a sick person to help them retain more lean muscle mass so they don't completely atrophy and weaken and lose weight and get unhealthy and die. If you give that to a normal person, it's going to still allow their muscle to grow past its normal capacity. It's going to essentially raise someone's genetic ceiling. 
So, but the thing is, is that's not just limited to an anabolic steroid. There are so many aspects to performance that I think if people were just to stop and think, if most people don't, like I said, most people don't have that base level of knowledge, that fundamental understanding of human physiology and sport, and they just don't fucking know how to critically think that well. And and so when whenever you consider performance, you have different aspects. You have the mental aspect of performance, the ability to focus, you have blood flow, you have heart rate, you have muscle strength, you have power, you have, you know, injury resistance and resilience, you have uh, the ability to prevent damage, you have the ability to, you have regulating inflammation, you have lac lactate threshold, you have VO2 max, you have literally all of these attributes that most people don't even aren't even aware of because they don't understand performance in and of itself and so when it comes to performance enhancing drugs if i take if i'm a you know maybe i'm a, a tennis player and i don't really need to weigh 250 pounds or deadlift 600 what i need is to have a massively high vo2 max lactate threshold so i can handle round after round of hitting the shit out of that ball. And you could argue that there, there's power in that also, which there is, but not to the degree that you need to develop 20 pounds of extra muscle mass that's gonna make you, that's gonna compromise your agility and your speed. And so, you know, if you take a tennis player and you give them something like, um, you know, Trenbolone, probably gonna fuck them up. But if you take, you know, an athlete like Maria Sharapova and you give her something like meldonium, which is originally a drug meant for blood pressure and you give her that drug. And the reason it helps a sick person for blood pressure is because it vasodilates and it helps them utilize energy resources, energy substrates better in the cells. And you give that to a highly functioning athlete, a highly skilled athlete already, it's going to, going to enable her to achieve a super physiological ability to increase her energy, uh, regulate her heart rate, reduce, essentially reduce your her perceived exertion. And she had been on that drug for how many years? You know, being a badass successful athlete, I'm sure that assisted her uh, rise at the top before she got popped, but that's just one example, you know. Athletes utilizing blood pressure medications. Um, God, you could really take this anywhere, but you know, like you said, the use of performance enhancing drugs is situational to the sport. Um, you know, people look at a drug like a beta blocker. Um, you would never usually consider that a performance enhancing drug because it actually slows your heart rate down and you want your heart rate. It, it can actually increase the rate of perceived exertion. If you give a beta blocker to a marathon runner, they're probably going to have the worst time they could ever have on a marathon. But if you give a beta blocker to a, a musician playing in an orchestra or some or, or a precision shooter or a precision marksman with a bow in the Olympics, that beta blocker, the term beta blocker is because the compound literally goes and blocks the beta receptor. And caffeine, on another hand, is a beta agonist. And you can understand how hype you get when we take a shit ton of caffeine, which is typically why a power lifter would use that. But if you give 500 milligrams of caffeine to someone playing in an orchestra, then they're probably going to freak out and throw off the notes and ruin the whole ruin the whole show. So if you take a compound 
that blocks the beta receptor where adrenaline can't bind to, then imagine, imagine when you get a fight or flight response and your adrenaline starts to rise and how shaky that makes you and how much that kind of throws off your groove and your focus if you're trying to stay calm, and, you know, trying to stay chill and you don't want to be all shaky when you're trying to aim that reticle or the crosshairs at a thousand yard shot, right? So performance enhancement lies within the context of the sport and you have to think of the attributes that that sport requires. And then you have to think, okay, how do I control those attributes? Like I'm already skilled in those attributes, but can I control them and influence them further? Is there pharmacology that I can use to assist with that? And that's sort of the, that's sort of how, whenever you're thinking of performance enhancement, that's how you have to focus on this thing. And that's where the knowledge comes in because most people, the, the area of pharmacology is extremely complicated. I mean, that's why pharmacists have to go to school for, you know, essentially get a, a doctorate degree, you know, to, to practice. You're going to school for many, many years on that topic. So, you know, when it comes to performance enhancement, the area is very broad and it's very contextual. So I hope that gave a little bit of a, of a in-depth answer to your question. No, that was, that was great, man. Cause I think that's, again, one of the big misunderstood things like people hear drugs and they automatically think steroids and then they automatically think testosterone <clears throat> when like steroids are only one aspect of, of performance enhancement. Exactly. Like you said, you know, it's the most obvious. Yeah. And, and you look at someone like Lance Armstrong, right? And, and you look at like testing protocols and he got away with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pause or of negative tests. And he actually didn't even get busted. He just literally came out, was like, got out. yeah, yeah, he got snitched on basically. But I mean, none of his tests ever popped him, right? And so that's kind of one of the, one of the things that people will use. Like you'll, you'll see sometimes these hearings where they're like, you know, have you ever done performance enhancing drugs? And, you know, exactly like he said, because he doesn't want to lie in Congress. He's like, he's like, I have never tested positive. And it's like, well, that's not the same thing as saying I've never used drugs. Right. And it's, it's really sneaky sometimes. So people will get around it. But um, so I think one of the things that people struggle with as well is just kind of understanding, like, what are some of the reasons people and organizations would lie about drug use right because you're like oh well you know we're trying to promote a clean sport we're trying to promote fairness we're trying to promote all these things which is great so why would they lie why would they want to risk all of these things by getting popped because of the lack of knowledge and ignorance surrounding it there is still a mainstream belief like the um the people, the, the gen pop people, the people that don't have time to acquire this type of knowledge, the people that have not competed at a high level themselves are still essentially like the times haven't, the, the belief and the knowledge of the gen pop hasn't caught up to the times. It's still lagging a little bit behind in sort of the eighties and the nineties, you know, when like the Mark McGuire's and the Sammy Sosa's were making their home run, you know, make, have the home run race and they're getting popped and you know having to testify in front of a judge etc and so people still people don't people still look at these things as essentially like cheating and it hasn't caught up yet to them understanding that it is a part of sport but 
it is not such a cut and dry process as people make it out to be. You will, you know, the, the, the idea is that taking these things conveys an unfair advantage and that without them, these people, you wouldn't even recognize them on the side of the street. You know, they wouldn't be shit as an athlete. You know, there's this, and that's ignorant. Um, most of these athletes, you know, most athletes that are good, you know, most household names that potentially have used drugs that are good would still be performing at a high level without them. It just enables them to reach that pinnacle, to kind of surpass all the other people in their peer group who are also at their level. And so all of these athletes who are already phenomenal athletes are sort of using this, um, this sort of, you know, they use pharmacology, they utilize pharmacology to sort of push their ability to try to get an edge on their peer group. Now you can take some of the similar pharmacology and give it to someone who doesn't have as ideal of genetics as someone else for whatever sport they're trying to pursue. And you can still help them surpass other common people in their peer group, but you'll never take that person and put them at the pinnacle of the sport, if that makes sense. So, you know, when it comes to, um, to kind of circle back around, you know, in reference to your question, when it comes to, um, you know, a business doing that, if they were to come out, there's a fear there on the business's side, because if they were to come out and announce that the stigma associated with that, and they're like, I think the business still believes that the, the stigma surrounding performance enhancement would delegitimize them. Obviously, you know, from a practical standpoint, a reduction in profits, a reduction in the, the, the base of their, their client base, essentially, uh, the people that believe in it. And so, you know, the belief that that's cheating, this sort of, you know, this sort of naive belief pushes and drives these companies to try to, again, push back with this essentially like false transparency to try to push back with this false transparency because they're trying to uphold this like clean and honorable and, you know, whatever standard, because people, you know, people that live in a safe, this naive safety bubble want to like, look at this sport as pure and they want to look at it as, you know, they want to like believe in it. They want to believe that it's possible, you know, for everybody, because that's, that gives them a, you know, an inspiring, warm and fuzzy feeling perhaps. Um, but the reality just isn't that. The reality is, you know, genetics mean that people are not physically created equal and uh, performance enhancement further exaggerates that. And that's where you get these freak athletes from. Yeah, so you said a couple of things there that were really interesting. And I, I think the biggest thing is, is the incentive structure that kind of exists within these little niches, right? So you mentioned like looking at an individual who's at a high level. And, and I mean, if everyone were legitimately to completely stop drug use, the yeah. rankings would probably like remain yeah. unchanged across the vast majority of sports. You know, mm -hmm. you might see a little bit of shifting, but pretty much it's going to remain the same. If everyone across the board, you're yeah. saying just stopped. Yeah, for yeah. sure. 
Yeah. And, and, and so the, the second thing is exactly like you said, from, from financial standpoint, like, you know, oh, how could so-and-so lie about this? How could they do that? Why would they do that? It's like, well, if this is their career and their livelihood, you know, and everyone else is doing it, it's kind of, it's a bit of a catch-22 because it's like, you know, that the reality of sport at that level in, in a lot of cases anyways, is especially professional sports, right? Is that people are doing these drugs so do you try and maintain some semblance of like, I don't even want to say morality because I don't necessarily think it's like a moral decision, especially yeah. given the context. Mm -hmm. um, but, but it's almost like, do you just say, no, I'm not going to do it and turn down millions of dollars and, you know, sort of sacrifice the future of your family, yourself, all these things. Yeah. Or yeah. do you just nope. say, hey, you know what, this is a reality. I just kind of need to play the game, even though it's not necessarily what I want. It it is what it is, and it's not going to change. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so it's, that, it's a bit of a tricky yeah. situation. Mm, yeah, most people will never comprehend the position that an athlete having to make that choice is in. Um, most people like to sit back from their computer and pass judgment, but the fact of the matter is <sighs> the amount of people, like it takes someone with an extremely high resolve and extremely strong moral compass, like to the point that I would almost go so far as to say some of those people are downright like, I have yet to meet, you know, someone of that level of fortitude when it comes to trying, you know, turning down millions of dollars versus, um, you know, turning down millions of dollars in the name of remaining, you know, remaining drug free in sport at that level. You know, most individuals are going to weigh those options and they're going to say, you know, okay, like I'm at this level and like, do people just not understand it? You know, I have my family I'm trying to provide for. I'm trying to get ahead, get ahead in life. They're weighing, you know, they're weighing all these things out. And at the end of the day, like, I think the reason that so few, like, you have to have a really, really strong belief about, you know, drugs and cheating if you're going to do that. Most people, most athletes, you know, go through, I would say, this sort of character arc when they when they come into competition you know you have the you have when you're introduced to this competition you know this sport you have when you fall in love with the sport you have when you make your grind and you climb to the top over years and years however long the journey takes you and then you have the point where you get you know pretty good you start getting some recognition but you still need to push a little bit further and most, most athletes can very, most athletes that choose to go the route of performance enhancement have this point, which is most of them, you know, some do, some don't. They have, they, you can ask almost any athlete, you know, if they're willing to talk about it, they have a point where they remember where they had to make that call. And it's usually like a, a it's like a pretty heavy call they have to make. Um, where they kind of realize, you know, where they kind of wake up to the reality 
of you know of the fat of of sport in the modern era the modern you know modern day and age sport in the 21st century essentially and you know they go that route and it's like you you kind of some ignorantly accept it and some you know don't some understand that like this is the way it is and it's like you know, you're depending on the sport you're in and how strict they are, you're essentially playing with fire at that point. And you can get really lucky and you can play your cards right. And you can, you know, be friendly to the right people and you can be extremely intelligent when it comes to, you know, drug use and you can still get burned. You can be ignorant about it and, you know, do the wrong amounts and, you know, you can skip by and you can have a successful career and vice versa. You can be dumb and you can get caught or you can be really smart and not. Um, but it's like you have to, you know, the athlete essentially accepts the consequences when they choose to go that route. And it's not, it's not some easy decision. And it kind of adds a, a tricky layer to, to competition at that level because at that point, you know, you're playing politics and it, and it becomes a really like sport at a high level is very political. It can be very messy. Like it's not so cut and dry as, you know, I go compete and I hit this score and I win, like there's layers to it. And most people will never understand that level of competition. They'll never, they'll never, they'll never get there because they don't have the work ethic because they're probably blaming drugs on that level of performance. But, um, it, it's 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 a select few of people that have the capability to get to that level and it's it's just it's an extremely difficult you know point place to be in um you know to to put it simply and kind of answer your question before i ramble too much because i could totally go on and on about this i think that um i think that at the end of the day the athlete weighs getting ahead in life and succeeding in their sport with the stark reality of, of 21st century competition. And uh, the fact of the matter is that, you know, if you're an athlete with really good genetics and you're beating and you're competing against another athlete with really good genetics, the, the deciding factor, uh, the, the probably the heaviest deciding factor is going to be, the quality of the pharmacopoeia that you have access to in your guidance and, and supplementation with that. Um, that's going to be the thing at that level when everyone's training hard, when everyone's training intelligently, when everyone has coaches, when everyone has their lifestyle dialed in, when everyone is built properly, like that's going to be the intelligence and complexity surrounding that is going to be what elevates you over someone else. And a lot of athletes are just like, well, I've put in 10 years of work to get here. You know, am I going to, am I not go, am I going to not do this and then live the rest of my life wondering what if like, fuck no, no athlete is going to do that. No athletes going to put in years and years and years and years of work to get there and then say, you know, I like, they're, they're not going to look at that and be like, okay, I owe all these people anything. Most athletes are competing to be successful and be their best. And in the 21st century of competition, like that's part of the game. It's just part of the game. Yeah. There are a couple things there that were, were pretty interesting. And especially the, the one thing that you mentioned about like having that actual 
responsibility and, and being faced and confronted with with that that decision there's there's a quote that i absolutely love uh i think it's by jordan peterson he was talking about the difference between like a good man and and, and a or a strong man and a weak man he's like he's like a weak man or a harmless i can't remember what he said it was something like a harmless man is not a good man a good man is yeah. a very very dangerous person who has yeah. it under control and the reason why i like that and i think it's relevant to the conversation is because if you don't if you don't have the capacity for violence and you choose to be you know a pacifist you're not actually choosing that's what this isn't made for you if you have the capacity to be violent and you choose instead nonviolence, that's an active decision and that is a level of morality right yep. if if you have let's say a girlfriend but you're not very desirable you know mm -hmm. and you have a hard time getting a girlfriend if you stay loyal to her or faithful, are you actually faithful or have you just not been tested? Like you're not Tiger Woods, you know, Tiger Woods is like women just lining up to, to sleep with him. And if you've been tested at that level, it's completely different and exactly like you're saying, and I'm not making necessarily a value judgment one way or the other, but, but I think it is a really, really important point that a lot of people don't like, they just kind of dismiss like the, the level of difficulty when you're actually in that position where it's actually like, everyone's always like, Oh, I would be the night you know, the white knight, I would right. say, no, I would just not do that until you're actually confronted with that. It's like, Hey, you've got a $7 million contract here, you know? And all of a sudden it's like, Oh shit. Okay. <laughs> do I really want to say no to that? And then be like, I did the right thing. Your fucking family's going to be choked at you, you know? Yeah. Well, and you're, you're, it's, it's a really difficult decision to make. Yeah. You're, you're, you know, whatever money you're bringing in is going to be jeopardized by that. And if you're an individual, like if you're an individual competing at that level, you have 50 other people who are doing the exact same thing as you. And maybe, you know, and then I would, I would throw in another layer and say that, you know, maybe you are a pretty good fucking person when it comes to, you know, being an athlete, there's a lot of really piece of shit, high level athletes. I would go so far to say as more are than aren't. Um, <laughs> the 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 level of the level of ego and high level athletics. Like majority of the time, you know, when people see athletes on TV, when they see them in interviews, when they see them on fucking Instagram, that's not who that person is. Most high level athletes aren't the greatest people in the world, but there are some that are. You know, there are some that are, despite that level of spotlight and fame. And if you take one of those individuals and you say, hey, you know, if you stay at the top, then you have the power to affect hundreds of thousands of people with the words you say. And to stay at the top, you also have to take drugs. Like, what if you have an athlete who's taking drugs, who is also, you know, donating a million dollars to to provide water to starving populations in Africa like well what outweighs what fucking Lance Armstrong I think he donated like a hundred million over his career or something like yeah. that answer like so yeah so so you know where do you draw the line there people don't want to take into account those things and so like I don't I look at, you know, I look at sport and I look at governing bodies and I look at, you know, most people just, like I said, aren't able to critically think that deep into the situation because these situations are extremely gray area and oftentimes sport is wrought with corruption in and of itself. So you have to consider, you know, the athlete, what are they fighting against? You know, 
maybe this athlete's taking drugs, but maybe the team they're competing against has favor with the governing body and they're getting favoritism in terms of their times and their event selection, et cetera. Like high level sport is so complicated, man. You know, the, the, the average person just, it, it's extremely complicated. Like it, it's, it's the average person will rarely ever understand it. And there's, there's layers of morality, layers on top of layers of morality this is concerned and so you know especially you know especially in like big sports like and i'm not just talking you know crossfit is like this little guy over here but like golf football baseball tennis like you know these sports are just they're about as political as government you know and so it's like it's a really 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 um complicated thing to navigate yeah, and especially when you get into like favoritism and even just the image of the sport as well, right? Like yeah. if, if you have someone who's a poster boy for a sport and they get popped, that could significantly damage the reputation, the, yeah. the revenue of, of the, the business, of everything. And so there is a major financial interest in, in some of these individuals. And it's funny because when you look at testing, and this is something that I think a lot of people don't necessarily understand unless they're pretty pretty um, intricately in the sport, is, um, no worries. sorry, someone just walked in, um, is when you start looking at testing and, and you look at the numbers and you're like, oh, you know, see they're, they're increasing the level of pops that, that they're doing every year, or, you know, we're getting all these people but then it's like, okay, but who are these people? A lot of the times they're not the poster boys. They're not the really, really high level guys. They're kind of like those, those medium run of the mill guys where it's like, they're good, but they're never going to be top five or something like that. And so they're kind of like padding their, their positive test numbers almost sometimes to be like, Hey, look, we're doing this. We're taking it seriously, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but in reality, they're not necessarily doing it very evenly or honestly. And, um, you know, I've even known certain governing bodies to actually like notify people beforehand to withhold test results. Um, I mean, like at very high levels in the Olympics, world championships, in different sports, like, you know, and so it's, it's not like this stuff doesn't happen. I'm not saying it happens all the time, but like you said, politics matters and it does definitely happen. Happens and, very selectively. Yeah, it can definitely be selectively applied for sure. And then, I mean, you, you look at things like designer drugs and things that are specifically made because there's no way to test for it. So it's like, I might be able to test for, and so this is something that's, you know, well out of my scope, but I can kind of talk a little bit about the generalities of it. So it's sure. like, you know, if you're going to test for certain peptides, if you're going to test for testosterone or whatever it is, you know that you're testing for that, but maybe there's a drug that's been newly designed that you don't even know exists. Well, if you don't they know- just throw an extra molecule all the, on the end. Yeah, and exactly. It, shows up, it doesn't show up on the test because the test is so specific. Exactly. And, and then there's, there's certain things. And again, this is kind of where, because admittedly, I don't know tons about drugs, but you know, I've literally known people who have used drugs up until like a couple of days out because there's like, I don't know if it's a short ester or the long ester, whatever it is, but it's just out of your system by the time you test and then you're good to go. And it's like, and then you look at someone's competitive season versus off season and whether, you know, they actually do testing in the in season or just the off season or sorry, just the in season or if they're doing testing in the off season. 
Um, then you get people like there's certain people who live on army bases, you know, and you can't mm -hmm. test randomly if, if they live on an army base. So there's like a whole host of different things that kind of make it a lot more complicated than, than just like, are you on drugs? Are you not? You know, are they all being tested equally? What kind of testing is happening and, and things like that. So it's kind of interesting, but I kind of wanted to circle around. I mean, feel free to, to piggyback on whatever we're talking about right now. But after that, I kind of wanted to circle back and, and talk about that original post that, that you made. Sure. Yeah, sure. You know, what the best way that I could sum some of that up in the, the um, are you still there? Yeah, sorry. Okay. I'm just stepping away for two seconds. Keep going. The best way that I saw the picture change, the best way that I can sum all that up, probably the easiest way for most people to, to understand this, is that once you cross the line between intermediate competition and you go into elite competition, which is often characterized by um, training around different athletes that are better than you, but also the introduction of some type of you know performance enhancement along with that. Competition at the elite level is about you know, is about dedication. It's about organizing your life around something and obsessing over it to an extent. But as much as it is about that, when it comes to pharmacology, it is an IQ test, right? So you can have a, oftentimes some of the best athletes are some of the most gifted physically, but they are also some of the most intelligent and clever with regards to, you know, the pharmacology aspect of it. And they're also probably getting a little bit of support and favoritism in a lot of, in a lot of cases from the governing body. Um, because, you know, like you said, if that athlete, if that athlete is bringing in boatloads of revenue and there's hype surrounding them, that would be the dumbest business decision for that governing body to make in terms of like, if that athlete's drawing in viewers, um, you know, revenue and people are coming by the boatloads to support and watch that sport. And, you know, this athlete's providing the governing body content and marketing and all of these things and essentially carrying a certain percentage of the sport. But, you know, sport at a high level is, is as much an IQ test as anything. And, you know, you can have heart, you can be a hard worker and you can get pretty good. But if you don't have the IQ, if you don't have that high level IQ to critically think and to understand things and to react to unpredictable situations, then you're just not going to be as successful as someone that does, you know, and that, that plays heavily into pharmacology and navigating the politics and navigating the testing and, and navigating, um, you know, navigating a lot of those unpredictable scenarios and situations, you know, anytime I see an athlete get popped, I just look at it and I'm like, you know, they didn't, they didn't, uh, they didn't meet the IQ test. You know, that's, that's what I see when I see that they didn't meet the IQ test. They, um, and that, that's socially, that's intellectually, that's, um, that's, you know, when it comes to pharmacology, like, you know, they didn't, they didn't figure out the right people to meet. They didn't figure out the right drugs to take and when they didn't figure out, you know, when, you know, 
they didn't get the right favoritism. They didn't, they didn't create the right optics surrounding them. Cause like an athlete, if they put themselves in the right position, if they understand the right people to meet, if they, um, you know, and you could argue that that's selling out to an extent, which goes into morality again, but, um, you know, if they, if they navigate it correctly, and then they also are intelligent enough to apply the right drugs in the right time and the right place for the right event, that breeds heavily into the success of that athlete. And, and most people just don't do that correctly. Yeah. And I mean, the, the conversation of ethics too is, is really an interesting one because like people talk about fairness in sport, but it's, yeah. it's through a pretty like myopic lens. Like it's, it's just really kind of constrained to this sort of straw man argument where the optics matter more than reality where you're, you're looking at a sport and you're like, I want to make it fair. If you really want to make it fair, make drugs legal. Yeah. You know? And then, and then the pushback is, well, what if some people don't want to do drugs? It's like, okay, sure. That's fine. But if you actually want it to be fair, you're going to make it legal. And, and then it's like, well, what if this person can't do this? What if this person can't do that? It's like, okay, well, what about athletes who are born just in the right month? You know, like if, if you look statistically at hockey players, right? And I don't exactly know when the season starts, but if you're born in a, like, if you look at the NHL, yeah. the majority of like the rock stars are born within like two or three months of each other. And, <laughs> and it's because they get a longer period um, to, of, of like development, which makes a big difference in those early years when they're in peewees or juniors or whatever the heck it is. So they get more games, more play time, more everything, more mm. opportunities by the time they get more to attention. Their, exactly. More by the time they get to their like early twenties and they're like in the NHL, they've had like 10 times the amount of experience than the other people, all because they were born on a different month than someone mm. else. Mm. You know, then you look at like right place, um, right time. Exactly. Right. And, and it's like, okay, well, what if you came from a more affluent family? Is, is that fair? Cause that makes a huge difference, especially in something like, let's say uh, uh, ski jumping, yeah. you know, that's an expensive sport or, or, you know, maybe golf or something else like that, or ho hockey is an expensive ass sport. So it like, when you really boil it down and then, I mean, Tiger Woods got surgery on his eyes to improve his eyesight. Is that cheating? You know, yeah. that's, that's technically like a, a surgical intervention to improve and enhance performance. Yeah. Um, if you are like, you know what I mean? And so it's like, where do you kind of draw the line? And, and actually I had a really, really great discussion with, with Broderick uh, Chavez uh, on a previous podcast. Um, Very smart guy. Super smart dude. I think the episode was called an honest, honest conversation about steroids. Yeah. Um, so if you guys are interested, you can definitely check it out. But um, I would recommend everyone listen to that because Broderick, I love that guy. I've done a couple consults. With him. <laughs> <laughs> I I could I could be friends with him in real life just because his sense of humor and mine are very similar, <laughs> very cynical. <laughs> his rants are his rants are pretty legendary. Like when he goes off and his voice just starts going louder and louder. <laughs> it's freaking out. <awesome. laughs> He's seen a lot, I'm sure yeah yeah man and even some of the stuff we talked uh, like that didn't go on the episode obviously um yeah. it's it's pretty wild you know yeah, when, when yeah. you think about like what's going on at the top top levels oh, yeah. um but yeah so so obviously we have to talk about the the main thing that kind of started a lot of this which was uh that post that you commented on that yeah. brought like just a ton of mm -hmm uh comments a ton of shares before it was removed 
-hmm. And then it kind of triggered or catalyzed this, this massive response on YouTube, on Instagram, and just kind of discussing the whole, you know, perception of, of cleanliness in, in sports. So can you just kind of like, I guess, open up the discussion, talk about what happened and, and yeah. kind of lead us in? So, so basically in a nutshell, CrossFit posted a sort of a, a, they took a post of an athlete, a very, very highly developed, an athlete who's very highly developed physically um, doing an extremely heavy weight, um, extremely uncommon, un uncommonly heavy weight for a female. Um, she was, she, she was probably less than 8% body fat and she was doing, uh, I think she cleaned 280, I believe close to 300, um, probably right around double body weight. And CrossFit basically took that, the post of that athlete and said, CrossFit did this. And, you know, more or less essentially said that. And, uh, um, and I saw it and yeah, there were some, you know, there are some people in the comments that were like bullshit, whatever. But I saw that and like, I'm not, I didn't like take it personally, but I just looked at it. And lately, I don't know if it's because I've been in the in the fitness industry more or less unintentionally for the last however many years. Um, and I just like, I just, I'm so burnt out to the, to the bullshit that I just, and the fact that I like have a little bit of weight in this conversation because I had competed at the games twice. I do know, you know, I know some of the highest levels of athletes. Like I've trained with them, like I've trained with Rich Froning, I've trained with Matt Frazier. Um, like I know them uh, to an extent. And like, it was just the level of bullshit surrounding that post. It was like, you know, when you see a really like someone on the internet and you know, they're really insecure about something. And so they're really, they essentially project their insecurity through like what they're doing. Like if you know, this person is really, really unhappy. And so like they post a picture of themselves, like frolicking in a field of sunflowers, like talking about how happy they are. Like, that's exactly what this was to me. And it's like, CrossFit is so afraid and so insecure about the perception of drugs in their sport that they're go, starting to starting to go like above and beyond to project their insecurity about that by making posts like this. And I do think they're also trying to regrow the sport. So they're trying to do whatever they can to essentially an obnoxious point to try to draw people back in because they kind of they kind of fucked the sport up for a little while in terms of like fracturing it. And then, you know, there was Greg Glassman getting out and there's all the drama in the sport. And so like, you, you could say, I, from what I feel, from what I kind of feel and see is that the sport's a little fractured now. So there's some incentive there to try to like re, re golden age it a little bit, um, which is going to be really hard to do, but I digress. Um, let me get back on my train of thought. So they put this post out and, um, and said CrossFit did this. And obviously CrossFit didn't do that because, you know, like maybe it helped, but CrossFit, 
CrossFit influenced that and that specific athlete, and nobody knows the context of that specific athlete. But I would go, I, I basically commented and I wrote, you know, this post is full of shit. Um, more or less, in my words, I wasn't that like, I didn't curse. Um, you know, I could probably pull it up. I'm going to pull it up right now just so I can read the exact comment for people because I have my Instagram right here and it's in a story highlight. Um, uh-huh. Here, I'll read my post. I said, the idea that CrossFit is a natural sport at the most elite levels is literally the biggest non-truth told to its audience that's coming from a previous two-time games competitor. I'm tired of it. It's disingenuous to sell that idea to gen pop. The use of peptides and fast-clearing steroid hormones is rampant and kept quiet. I literally know of previous Reebok-sponsored athletes who popped and were never disclosed because it would hurt the brand's image. Too much of fitness makes money off of using their lead to mislead people into what kinds of results are realistic through natural dieting and training. They said cleaning 280 is a female with what appears to be single digit body fat. Sorry, that's not how natural female physiology works. The post got about five or 600 likes and probably like 40 or 50 comments before it got removed. And I was actually surprised that they left it up that long. I thought they were gonna take it out down right away, but I'm sure that Instagram account's pretty big and hard to handle everything. And so they probably probably took them a little while to notice after it got traction. The fact that they removed it, I thought was like the worst thing they could do. They could have easily just written a professional response in the comments, but still like, you know, it is what it is. And then of course it did generate a lot of traction because um, a lot of people saw that. Like I'm not some famous person by any means. I'm probably like a C plus list person in fitness these days, but um, uh, I do know a lot of games athletes. I've, I've been, around the scene for probably a decade now. Um, I don't really consider myself around the scene right now because I'm kind of doing other shit, but, um, and because I had my injury and so I'm still rehabbing and everyone knows how that goes. But, uh, you know, I know a lot of the big names because I've competed with them when they weren't big names, you know, and I don't want to draw names because I kind of shot myself in the foot with that comment because I kind of like, I don't really have any skin in the game anymore, but a lot of people I still know still kind of suck CrossFit's dick essentially. And so, you know, they have to suck up to the organization to, you know, keep their favoritism because CrossFit is very, very um, biased and selective and play, they play favorites very heavily. Um, and also you have sponsors and things like that. And so like, you know, <laughs> I probably won't be uh, any sponsors that are associated with CrossFit and that, uh, you know, getting into that, it's all very, very, uh, very political, I would say. It's very, you know, if you understand CrossFit to any extent, it's very, there's a lot of drama that goes on, a lot of people getting fired constantly, lots of lawsuits, like money, money changing, you know, people getting sued, things like that. I mean, that's why Reebok isn't even a sponsor anymore. But again, I digress. Um, yeah, CrossFit's just not a clean sport, man. And they put that post out there and I saw it and I'm really fucking sick and tired of um, of just the disingenuous nature of the fitness industry in general these days. And that was like, like I remember when CrossFit used, when it was like newer and it was fucking cool. And like, you could watch those videos and see those badass. I remember the first time I saw like a YouTube video on it. I was like, shit, I want to do that. But CrossFit making that post essentially put them 
really close to like a 1999 infomercial of someone doing a fucking hamstring adductor thing on TV at midnight. Um, you know, I, I saw that and I was like, you guys just really, really jumped up a notch in terms of like bringing yourself in line with the nature of the mainstream fitness industry and how, how fake it all is. Um, you know, the mainstream fitness industry is essentially people with great genetics on steroids selling three sets of 12 to a gen pop person who doesn't know any better. And like, I, I don't like that. I don't like, I just, I really didn't like that post. I, you know, coaching athletes, I have a lot of athletes. I coach a lot of gen pop and I coach some high level athletes um, and everyone and anyone in between because I don't really discriminate because I can help all of them. And um, I have athletes that I have to have that conversation with and say, like, you know, they've been training for three, four, five years and, you know, they're making a lot of the sacrifices and, you know, they're at a certain point and it's like, you know, I have athletes that I have to have the stero the, the performance enhancing drug conversation with that get to that point. And they're like, why am I not as good as these other people? And I say, well, these other people are doing X, Y, and Z, you know, and I have to have athletes that I have to have the conversation with where I say like, yo, like, you know, you're not sacrificing enough, but also you're, you're just, your genetics aren't there. You're not predisposed to be good at this thing already. So you have to work extra hard to be kind of good and the potential to be at the peak capacity of the sport might not be there for you. You know, like if you're five foot tall and want to be good at basketball, probably not going to happen kind of thing. Um, and, and that specific post that they made essentially what probably directly communicated to a lot of women that, Hey, if you do CrossFit and you want, you can clean 280 at single digit body fat. And like, that's fucking not true. That's not how female physiology works. The only, the only time female physiology can function in that capacity is if that individual has very unique genetics. And if that individual is on a shit ton of anabolic drugs, maybe not a shit ton, well, maybe a shit ton in someone who has poor genetics or, or good genetics and less obviously the better their genetics are, but um, you know, women cleaning 280 typically have to be, have a pretty high degree of body fat as evidenced by female Olympic weightlifters in the US who are cleaning around 280 to 300, who typically weigh around 170 to 175, who probably have 20 plus percent body fat, who essentially have to gain body fat to go up weight classes to hit that same amount of weight. Like there's a reason that girl hitting that 280 in that video isn't competing in a very heavily drug tested sport, which is not CrossFit, that's Olympic weightlifting. Like, you know, there's a reason these athletes aren't competing in Olympic weightlifting. Um, and I just, man, like I do know a Reebok athlete who got popped. I, I know of, so I know of a Reebok athlete that got drug tested, got popped for steroids, and they were essentially told, they said, hey, you have 24 hours to notify all of your sponsors. And, um, and of course, they notified all of their sponsors that they tested positive for something that they got popped in. And they said, after you notify your sponsors in 24 hours, we're going to make these test results public. And 24 hours went by, and they just, nothing ever happened. 
and they didn't disclose the results to the public like how they do typically what you see now they make an instagram post it causes a little bit of hoopla for three days then everyone with the attention span of a goldfish quickly forgets about it and moves on to the next big thing but um you know all those things i said in that post were absolutely true um you know like i i literally know lots of athletes from crossfit that take drugs like it's not uncommon um you know probably 75 percent of the women at a high level i mean i'm just throwing that number out there but it's a lot it's over half at a high level at the regionals level most of the girls at the regionals level when regionals was still a thing the like the standard thing is like 20 milligrams of animal like that's how these girls are cleaning you know 220 230 which is like pretty good weight um and then at the higher level like that, like that is such a simple protocol for someone to follow. It's such a given that it's like, oh, you know, take this pill, you know, you take it once or twice a day for, you know, eight to 12 weeks and you're going to be capable of competing in regionals. And these girls are pretty ignorant. They're just like, oh, I'll take this pill and then they do it. You know, um, it's a little bit different for guys because guys tend to get, it, it's different for girls than it is guys. Like guys tend to get too big. And if a guy, you know, puts on 20 pounds of mass, it's not the best thing for, you know, because CrossFit, like guys tend to get too big to where it hurts them in certain events. Girls, for some reason, tend to be able to get a little bit beefier and they could still be great runners and great gymnasts. And they just become great weightlifters. Also, guys, you know, tend to get way too heavy. And so, like, guys need to stay a little bit on the smaller end as far as the size that guys can be, you know, 190 to 200 pounds is typically the sweet spot for guys, but girls can be in the 140s and 150s and still be pretty damn good, you know, be individual games level. But um, yeah, it was just, it was, it was one of the, the, that was a lot. I can talk forever on this, like I said, but it was just one of the most fake bullshit comments, you know, things that I've, I've seen them say, and it caused a lot of uh, track. It got a lot of traction and Dave Castro even reshared it and doubled down and was like, CrossFit is this effective. And it's like, dude, you're so full of shit. I just, that guy is so full of shit, man. He is like, I can't, oh, it's just, it's phenomenal how full of shit Dave Castro is. And it, and it frustrates me, like most people are too afraid to say these things because a lot of their money and a lot of their income still come from CrossFit and they're still really, their ego is still really caught up in the sport. And, you know, CrossFit, if you speak out against CrossFit, you become a black sheep and, a, and they essentially, essentially ostracize you. And anyone that hangs out with you gets ostracized as well. That's how these things usually work. And like, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a freaking travel nurse right now and I make plenty of money doing that. So I don't need any of that. And like, for me, my morality and having the knowledge and essentially the ability and a decent sized platform enough and a, like a little bit of enough clout to say these things, be like that matters to me, which is why I made the comment and I, just like I've had to have enough of these conversations and I hate the fact that like this type of message literally promotes eating disorders in people and gets people severely injured. Like at the extreme degree, it fucks people up in the name of bringing more business to them. And it's just like, you know, like it sounds really stupid and cliche and like inspirational or something like that. But it's like, if, 
if if like 10 or 20 or 30 people read that and become a little bit more woke up to the reality of elite competition and performing at that level, and it gives them, and maybe maybe they either do things how they should to get to that level, or they seek out good source of information, or they decide that they're not going to waste the next five years of their life and ruin relationships and make all these sacrifices because it's just not realistic for them because that's the other end of the spectrum, then like that gives me enough psychological gratification to put myself in a place where like, you know, a lot of the people that are in the sport like are hesitant to, you know, potentially come on my podcast if I want to have them on and be like, when, before I made that comment, you know, people would probably not have a problem like resharing one of my posts. Whereas now they like kind of keep me at arm's length. Like that's the reality of saying stuff like that. But, you know, that was a lot of shit, but um, that kind of gives people a little bit of insight into the nature of these things. Yeah, it's really funny how people respond to, you know, different pieces of information. It's, it's like, there's a sort of assumption about the way that things work and then there's reality like uh, I think one of the best examples that I can think of off the top of my head is minimum wage right so like sometimes I'll use economics uh, examples because I'm kind of an economics nerd I sort of find it interesting and I mean when when you look at minimum wage the reason why it was initially implemented was because they wanted to help individuals out specifically like minority demographics and it was funny because after it was first implemented they didn't actually even do any research whether or not it was even effective for 20 years because it was just based on or it was predicated on the assumption that oh this is going to work and it's like well that's not really how we do things that's not how you should do things anyways and it was funny because when the first study was actually run what they found was it literally had the exact opposite effect that it was intended right because when you increase the minimum wage, you necessarily have to make people more selective on who they hire. Guess what? They're not going to hire super young people who are inexperienced, and they're also not going to be able to hire people who maybe struggle with, with the language. So who are going to be uh, people who are automatically singled out and not hired anymore? Well, young people, so they have to enter the workforce later on, which means they have much, much less opportunity for upward mobility down the line, and then also minorities. And, and it's funny because, you know, it's the exact opposite. Minorities and young people, those are the people who are negatively impacted. And every time minimum wage goes up, we see a direct correlation with an increase in uh, unemployment. Yeah. So sure, the people who are employed now have uh, better earnings, but we have significantly more people being unemployed who are substantially worse off but the optics look really good. And so people kind of buy into this and it's, you yeah. see this stuff really, really common all the freaking time, not just in econ, but like in fitness all the freaking time, you know, with, with the steroids and things like this. And people really do have a hard time with the truth because like, man, if you got to face something that maybe you don't want to, that's, that's tough. And that's part of the human condition. And so <laughs> I understand, I understand that because there's certain things that like, I don't see in myself. And actually, I, I kind of posted about this recently. Every year I have this kind of little experiment that I do where with my close friends, I'm always like, hey, what's my greatest strength and weakness? You know, or a list of them. And 
every time I hear it, it always feels like I'm being kicked in the dick because I'm like, that sucks to hear. And I'm always like, I get angry. I'm like, no. And I argue it and I try and debate it. But I do so from a standpoint of like, I'm going to try and poke as many holes in this as I can. And if I can't, then shit, you may be right. And you know what I mean? And it's, it's, it's funny, even though I'm intentionally doing this exercise so I can see my, my, you know, blind spots, I'm still like significantly resistant to these, these new concepts. And so I think it is just kind of a natural part of the human condition to, to resist change, to resist um, threats to your sense of like self-identity and, and your values and all these things mm -hmm. that admitting that maybe some people use drugs is a very threatening concept or that certain people that maybe you're striving for this physique and you might not be able to do it without using drugs like that's for some people that can be very difficult you know and yeah. it's just sort of funny how people will talk themselves around these subjects and be like yeah that's good enough and it's like uh i don't know about that man that doesn't really add up you know well like you know i think that I think that a large majority people people equate their physical performance, their physical appearance, their physical condition, their outward ability um, physically, and you know whatever the weight they can lift, etc. People have this tendency to equate how good they are in a sport with their self worth and value as an individual. You're not supposed to do that. <laughs> i've been doing it wrong all these years <laughs> and so so you know if you take somebody who wants to be really good at something and if they're not good at something then essentially they're in their belief they like look at themselves as like a piece of shit or something like that and you take that person and they're able to look at all these other people and say oh well they're only good because they're on drugs and I'm, I'm, I take the moral high ground, you know, and they take the little bit of a, a pretentious attitude toward it, towards it. And they say, I take the moral high ground because I don't take drugs. But if I did, then I would be as good as them. That person, they don't want to entertain that idea because they are essentially saying that out of fear. And what they're afraid of is that if they did take drugs, and they didn't get to that level, then they wouldn't, you know, then their argument would be false. Um, and then in their own belief, their own belief system, then they literally wouldn't be as good as these other people. And so they're, you know, that, that individual likes to pretend that they're taking a moral high ground, but in all reality, you know, they could, if they really wanted to, they could go take drugs and they could really see for themselves, you know, and some people do, some people are self-aware enough to say, you know what, I am going to take that route. I'm going to train as hard as I fucking can. I'm going to use performance enhancement and I'm going to see where I really stack up. I'm going to level the playing field and see where I stack up. And other people use that cop out and they say, no, I don't want to take the level playing field. And some people just decide that it's not worth it for them they just are honest with themselves and they say you know well i just don't care about this stuff enough to go this route and that's totally fine and great you know it's a personal choice at the end of the day but there are a lot of the people are not honest enough and they're not self-aware enough to understand that the reason they say that kind of stuff is because they are unhappy with where they are at currently and to 
say to essentially use the cop out and say all these people on drugs validates to them where they currently are at and why they are not successful. Yeah, and and it's it's funny actually because like when I was Olympic weightlifting, that was my first introduction to like lifting weights, period. Um and I remember there was a competition and I, I didn't compete at this particular competition, but a lot of the guys at my, my kind of club did, this was ages ago and they get back um, and we're lifting on like the Monday or whatever after. And everyone's like, Oh man, like this one guy was so strong, this little Asian dude. And I was like, Oh, crazy. And they're like, yeah, oh, he was definitely on drugs and started accusing me of all this stuff. And I was like, Oh, wow. That's crazy. And like, at this time, again, I, w- I didn't even know that people used drugs and sports at this time like I was so ignorant and I was like oh wow that's wild like who is this guy and they're like I don't know his name was like you know Matt something and then someone's like oh yeah it was Matt Lee and I'm like Matt Lee like that's a really good friend of mine actually I was like he's not on drugs they're like oh he definitely is like he's Jack and he's and I'm like no 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 no. like I, I know him really well like he's <laughs> he doesn't use drugs he's never used drugs like he's he's actually got like really strong ethics like against that sort of stuff in competition and they're like well how and i'm like dude i've known this guy for years like trust me he's not on drugs he's He's always been pretty strong (laughs) i was like he's just better than you and they're like well he's only been lifting for like a year and i'm like yeah but he was a power lifter before then and like he was insanely strong at that too even after like three or four years like people are just good people just have good genetics you know and it was so funny because when i was like why do you think he's on drugs they're like well, look at him. I was like, bro, come on, man. Like, that's not a good reason, you know? And it was funny because no one questioned it and everyone at the club, there were like seven people. And I'm just wondering, like, how many people have each of you told about this? Yeah. And it's like, this guy is like this really nice guy. He just works super freaking hard, never touched drugs in life, but he like sleeps really well, very dedicated with his training. Like his, his education, he's like, I don't know. I think he's like doing his PhD or something in psychology right now. I don't, I don't remember, but, um, makes them feel better about themselves. Yeah. Like he's, he take, he took exponentially longer to finish his education specifically because he didn't want to cut into his training time. And it's like, that's how committed and dedicated he is. And I didn't make as much money. Yeah. And, and all they see is like, Oh, he's better than me. Therefore he must be cheating. And I was like, that's pretty fucking whack, man. But (laughs) yeah, I don't know. I will never forget that story because like of just how quickly people adopted that. It's exactly like what you were saying. They're just like, he's better than me. He must be on drugs. It's like, that's the only plausible reason. Not that he's just better than you, you know? And I think, and one thing that I do want to mention before we kind of cap things off, for anyone listening who's gotten this far, who hasn't like gotten sidetracked and like chased a squirrel or something, um, is the fact that performance enhancement isn't like a one size fits all shoe. It's not like you you are on or you're off. It's not like I just, it's not like this one level, it's like, like this one single even keel level that is the same between all athletes. It's very, very, very dependent on the amount, on the scope, on what you're doing. Like, it's, it's degrees, right? So you can be on a little bit, just a little bit of education for people. You can be like typically, you know, when it comes to steroids, it's usually a milligram per kilogram kind of ratio dosage, you know, 
anti-aging therapy, hormone replacement therapy is really, really low dose steroid cruising cycle, whatever you want to call it. Like anti-aging therapy in a 60 year old is really low dose steroids, you know, anti-muscle wasting in a cancer patient is really dose, really low dose performance enhancement, essentially by most people's standards. Um, high, like high dose performance enhancement is taking a lot of drugs to the point that like you're getting really, really nasty side effects. You are impacting your health in 10 to 20 years or sooner as we see by this wave of deaths in the bodybuilding community. Um, you know, it's like, like you take, uh, just to give people some context, you take hormone replacement therapy, you know, testosterone replacement therapy, which is very common and extremely beneficial to many men as young as the age of 25, you know, who have their bodies been through the ringer, maybe because of shift work, stress, et cetera, bad genetics, et cetera, you know, all the way up until, you know, 80, like hormone replacement therapy can work wonders for someone's quality of life, you know, if they have a disease, et cetera. Like I know um, someone I know personally uh, has very, very bad genetics, very bad genetics. They're constantly anemic. Um, they have, you know, issues with fibromyalgia, et cetera. And this individual, when they take very, very, very low dose anadrol, I'm talking like 2.5 milligrams, like every other day, they take very low dose anadrol and a little bit of EPO can live a normal life and compete at an average level in like, you know, running and lifting weights and they enjoy the way their body looks and they don't compete in anything. It just allows them to live like a very, have a quality of life and not feel like shit all the time and not have chronic fatigue and chronic pain, et cetera. And, you know, have joint pain at, at a, not an old age at like 28 to 30, right? And then you can take a bodybuilder trying to get their pro card and, you know, a body, you know, guys on TRT are taking 100 to 200 milligrams a week of testosterone. And you, you can take a bodybuilder that weighs 300 pounds trying to take their, get their pro card. And these individuals are on 15 different things, not just steroids, but we're talking we're talking, they're taking so much steroids in like the three to five to six gram. So three to five to 6,000 milligrams amount with five to 10 IUs of HGH. We haven't even brought up HGH plus 10, you know, dozens of tens, 20, 30 units of insulin a day, you know, depending on how many carbohydrates they're eating which is a whole nother ball game because that insulin is one of the most dangerous drugs possible that can kill you. Um, a couple of the most dangerous drugs possible are insulin and diuretics. Both of those can literally kill you very quickly if you do that improperly. Um, both of which are heavily used by bodybuilders and a lot of strength athletes um, when cutting, um, specifically diuretics when cutting, but as bodybuilding, bodybuilders getting show ready are essentially cutting. Um, and drying themselves out but you know you can have you can have these bodybuilders taking three four five six thousand milligrams of steroids tens of units of hgh tens of units of insulin and because they're taking so many of those drugs when you get to really high 
levels of those drugs, you start to experience really, really dangerous side effects. So on top of that, they're taking real pharmaceutical drugs meant for the health conditions brought in normal people that are brought on by their high drug usage, causing these health conditions like, um, like high blood sugar, uh, hypertension, um, hyperlipidemia, um, you know, electrolyte imbalances, um, you know, lots of conditions that, you know, acne, um, you know, donating, having to donate blood every month or two, like, you know, there are levels, there's levels to this shit. And someone taking, you know, two, three, four, 500 milligrams of a steroid versus someone taking six grams are two completely different ballparks. Drug use does not function on an even level. It is very, very, very dose dependent. And an individual casually drinking a beer every night, an individual utilizing one, two, 300 milligrams of a performance enhancing drug is not nowhere even close in the same ballpark as an elite athlete. You know, a strength athlete using three, four, five, six grams of anabolics a week to completely different ballparks, not even in the same playing field. Yeah, that's a really, really great distinction, actually, because I also think that kind of line gets that gets blurred a little bit. It's like either you're on drugs, or you're off drugs, as opposed to being a lot more of a spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah. Uh, sorry, an, an oh, individual, people say, oh, if you take steroids, it's going to kill you. If you take five grams plus diuretics, plus, you know, plus EPO, plus whatever, like plus, you know, insulin, plus HGH, plus all this other stuff. Yeah, that's going to fucking kill you after a certain period of time. And it's going to be really random. And oftentimes those individuals are doing street drugs like cocaine, et cetera. Um, painkillers, et cetera, because they push their bodies, you know, the discomfort they're in from the training that they're undergoing, plus those drugs is putting their bodies under a lot of discomfort also. I mean, look at, you look at pro wrestlers, like show wrestlers, WWE, WWF, um, you know, the amount of painkillers those guys take because of the pain they're in, plus the drugs. Steroids and the unhealthy lifestyle, they live TRT, that makes them more healthy uh, then that makes them more healthy than when they're not like having low levels of hormones is unhealthy for you. And you will die sooner because of that. And you will live shit quality of life. Having like a high normal is very good for you, but then doing too much to the point of like obsessing will cause side effects and hurt you. The dose dependent nature of performance enhancing drugs is directly correlative, directly influential over the amount of harm you do to your due to the organism you know due to your body mm -hmm. no yeah that's that's a really great point i think that's kind of a good place to end here as well yeah. um before we before we uh end off here though where can people find you um people can find me uh i only run an instagram right now i started to run a tiktok and i was like fuck this it's too toxic um <laughs> i did the same thing i had one post and i was i deleted it yeah it's too it's a different beast man it's too too short of an attention span i can't do it um 
usually I'm mainly on Instagram at Ian the Rhino, Ian.e.rhino. I also run uh, my coaching business is Fortitude Sports Performance at Fortitude Sports Performance. Uh, website is www.fortitudesportsperformance.com if you want to look at any of my nutrition, training, coaching, template programs. I write two training programs. One is a strength-based program and one is a GPP-based sort of be ready 365 days of the year program. Um, and uh, I also have a podcast, Fortitude Live, the podcast. Um, that's really it, man. Shoot me DM. I respond to all my DMs. I like talking to people. Awesome. So all that stuff's going to be linked up in the show notes. I actually wasn't aware that you had a podcast, so I'll, I'll yeah. sure check that out. I'm not. I'm not as. Uh, I'm not as current with it as I should be because I'm up working this travel nursing contract, and that takes 40, 50 hours a week um, of my time. I usually like. I try to stick. I was trying to stick to a regular schedule with it, but like. I've just been way too hectic right now. Like I work, I train and I keep up with my athletes and I find a little bit of time for myself. Then that's how life's going to be like through the end of January. Cause I, I couldn't pass up this contract. It was too much money. <laughs> nice man. Yeah. All right, man. Well, it was great having you on dude. It was a pleasure to be on. I, I really think that, um, this is going to provide, I'm going to, I'm going to push this episode because I think it's going to provide a lot of insight to a lot of people. Uh, we went, we kept it pretty broad and generalized, but I, I do feel like I went in depth into some things to give people to like scratch the surface a little bit to kind of make people think about some of this stuff. Yeah, no, 100%. All right, man. I will talk to you later. Later.